Hawks are back in the win column after a bit of a spiral since our last episode. Uh, Nick, we're down a man this week. No Keith. Uh, so I'm really going to rely on you here because I think I've seen about five periods uh, from the last four games, mercifully. Um, You've been fortunately busy lately, hey? Yeah, uh, not regretting it based on the way things have gone. Didn't see a second of the Penguins game. Will not be changing that. Uh, But we're going to start off this week by talking about Toronto's latest opponent, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, As you know by now, the results of the investigation into the 2010 sexual assault have been publicized. Stan Bowman and Al McIsaac are out from the Blackhawks front office. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, Joel Quenville will probably be out in Florida. It sounds like that is in the works as we record here on Thursday night. And, uh, of course, Kyle Beach has identified himself as John Doe 1, who was allegedly sexually abused by former Chicago video coach Brad Aldrich and uh, was ultimately failed at every level by so many people in positions of authority and by so many institutions along the way here. Uh, Nick, this has been just a heartbreaking story. And obviously his interview with Rick Westhead that aired on TSN, that was just uh, just gut-wrenching to watch uh, him you know, detail what he's been through and, and continues to go through. And um, man, it's uh, it's been a, a tough couple of days to as we've watched this unfold for sure yeah and, and first off just a, a stick tap to rick westhead for his incredible investigative journalism you know all the time but especially throughout this process and following this story and helping to bring all of this to light um really a, a heavy story uh, really as you said gut-wrenching uh, series of events and you know to hear Kyle Beach tell it in his words and talk about the impact that it has had on his life is is really difficult to watch, um, and you just you can't help but be heartbroken for the guy. Like this has irreparably damaged everything that he, he worked for growing up in his life. It, he he said it himself. He's been carrying this with him for so long and it has torn him apart from the inside out. Um, I think to kind of try to put a bit of a positive spin on it, it has been really uh, encouraging and heartwarming to see the outpouring of support for Kyle Beach since he has identified himself as John Doe one. Um, I'm really happy for him in the sense that, he no longer has to suppress this and carry this around the, the way that he has for the last 11 years now. The, this isn't his burden to bear in that sense anymore. Like this, He's carried it with him for so long, and now it's time for his abuser and those who were complicit in covering up the abuse to carry that shame. This is now Brad Aldrich's, Stan Bowman's, Al McIsaac, Doc Gary, Joel Quenville, everyone who failed Kyle Beach along the way. This is now their shame to carry for the rest of their lives. Yeah, for me, like the idea that really kind of like obviously the the whole thing is so horrifying, but um, just kind of 
stringing together all of the different threads here and the idea that he was threatened by this guy who abused him and told that his career would be derailed and then without even needing to be cajoled or encouraged to do so his teammates just fell in line and proved that to be true like homophobic slurs at practice and in the dressing room and you know the 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 way that they they perpetuated almost the abuse without even necessarily knowing exactly what happened. But, um, you know, the the way that some of those players have responded to this has been particularly disgusting. And and obviously, like, um, you know, the, the, the fault lies more with the people at the top. And, and, you know, the NHL and the NHLPA have have you know, a lot of responsibility to bear with this as well. And I I feel like they've slid a little bit as, as, you know, obviously the Hawks deservedly so get a lot of the blame, but I I mean, so many failures uh, throughout this league and this sport allowed this to happen. Yeah. Well, Kyle Beach said himself, like, not only did he ensure this went up the chain of command with the Blackhawks, he went to the NHLPA with this. And nothing was ever done about it. So you're absolutely correct that the NHLPA is culpable in this as well. The fact that they put this on the back burner and they swept it under the rug as well. Like that is the National Hockey League Players Association. They're meant to represent and protect the players and their rights and that just didn't happen here. It is a, a complete failure all around. So many different people failed Kyle Beach during this horrific experience that he's been forced to to carry around with him for all this time. It's it's. I don't really know what more to say on it. It's. it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and that's it. That's I, I think we'll leave it there. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's been a, a tough week, and um, just it's good to see that you know some um, action is being taken now, and some people are, are having to finally answer for this. So many years later, you know, it's 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 too late, but it it's something, right? So, um, and, and it will forever taint that era of Blackhawks hockey. You know, where the the team saw so much success on the ice, no one is going to care about that anymore. No, it's the foundation it was built on, that first cup. This this was, was happening, and you will never be yeah. able to forget that, yeah, this is this is always going to be tied. Yeah, that's, that's a good point for sure. Um, but let's talk about the game against the Hawks a little bit. So the Leafs... Um, you know they they came back in that one. It kind of looked like it was headed towards a um, you know a, a, another disappointing night for for a little bit there. But I, I think that they had a little more a little more fight than you'd seen probably in those previous games. Um, well, they had I, no I, I fight guess, in those previous games. So so any amount yeah, would bar. have been a welcome you know, welcome site. And I think everyone kinda... wanted to see them just beat the piss out of these guys right off the top. So yeah. I guess that that was, you know, you maybe would have liked to see them come out a little stronger, but it felt like they got better as the game went against, against Chicago. Yeah, I think they definitely did. And while it wasn't, you know, the, the prettiest win, I think it was a really important win for this team right now, given their 
you know, fragile mental state. I think Sheldon Keefe's reaction on the bench to uh, Neil Andrews' overtime winner kind of said it all, really. That, that, that was a, a pretty exuberant celebration from a head coach for a win in the eighth game of the regular season. Um, it, it, while it wasn't, you know, a textbook clean victory where they walked all over one of the, the worst teams in the league, I think there were a lot of really encouraging signs throughout that game like you said it was, they, they just they had a lot more fight than we'd seen from them in recent performances like nobody showed up against Pittsburgh at all that was just such a demoralizing loss I think that that really set a lot of fans who may have been like kind of teetering on the brink right over the edge um, and then to to follow that effort up the way that they did in Carolina, where they got absolutely shelled for the first two periods of that game against the Hurricanes. And mind you, the, the Hurricanes are a good team, but the Leafs are supposed to be a good team too. And they, they provided very little resistance against the Hurricanes. And there was just no pushback. And I think against the Blackhawks on Wednesday night, the the most encouraging thing was the fact that there was some pushback and it, they looked you know angry there was there was some frustration boiling over we saw Austin Matthews it appeared as though he was kind of giving hell to, to someone on his own team there just a guess but I think he may have been a little unhappy with Justin Hall and a couple of the the plays that he was making retrieving pucks in the defensive zone and Matthews really let him hear about it even when they got back to the bench so I, I think seeing some signs of like internal accountability and the fact that they're getting really pissed off with the way that they've been playing was you know, something that they can kind of build off of and try to carry into this upcoming homestand. Yeah, it was kind of a rubber meets the road situation here where either you're going to uh, continue to kind of play the way you've been playing and like, or, or you're going to get pissed off about it. And, and you know, I, I think that the Leafs are always going to figure it out here at some point. But uh, yeah, I think it's good to see a little bit of emotion there. There was, there was one point where um, it, this was after he had already kind of gotten into it with Hall on the bench a little bit and then I think uh, Hall made a little extra move at the blue line at one point and, and Matthews ended up going offside go and off I was side, like oh, yeah. this is gonna boil over but <laughs> yeah I thought yeah, the same um, thing but yeah I, I agree with you there I think that it, and, and that's the guy you need to see it from right like uh, Ma- Matthews is yeah well it's, it's got to be from the top yeah exactly and, um, and another one of the top players like Mariner had I think his, his best performance of the season against the Blackhawks I thought he was he was really good like throughout the entire game that had the incredible pass to Tavares in the slot for their first goal. Yeah. It seems like he's starting to come around a bit, as you said, like, you know, they're going to figure it out, particularly Matthews and Mariner. Like these guys aren't going to be held off the score sheet this way for the entire season. It's they're just way too talented. Yeah, no, you're right, and, and good to see them kind of uh, start to maybe turn things around a little bit against uh, Chicago. Still some concerns, obviously. You touched on it. Um, the Leafs had just an all-time dog shit run on the Patrick Marlowe circuit, right? <laughs> Outscored 16-5 to uh, against uh, San Jose, Pittsburgh, Carolina. So <laughs> they, um, they, I mean, they were 
brutal, obviously, in pretty much front to back. Is it safe to say in those games? Like I, I, um, I didn't see, as I said, the Pittsburgh game at all and happy about that. Well, uh, let me tell you, buddy, as someone who's, you know, been following the Leafs for the better part of his life, you've seen that game against Pittsburgh before. You've seen it several times. It, It was just one of those, nobody showed up like Travis Dermott was their best player that night. And that's only because he didn't have to waste any time putting his gear on to sit in the press box to come out of the lineup for Timothy Lilligan. It was, that's how ugly that, that night was. It was just, it, it, it all started off with, you know, a couple of bad bounces as we've seen happen to the Leafs on numerous occasions, you know, puck off someone's ass into the net, things that we've seen, countless times against the Leafs but they just they had no pushback and no resolve to kind of try and overcome that poor luck and everything just fell apart and I think that was what had so many fans so upset was just we haven't seen any kind of passion or or fight out of them and again I think there were some more signs of that against Chicago and I think that's even more encouraging than coming away with the two points. But safe to say that the uh, the blue line still kind of remains a point of concern right now for for the Leafs. Would you say? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Earlier this week uh, at the Leafs Nation, I I kind of went in on Jake Muzzin a little bit, and it, it pained me to do so because he's been such an important piece of this team for the last couple of years, and you know, just someone that's really easy to cheer for. He plays the game the right way. He plays hard. He's physical. You just you know, the consummate pro. But he has been an unmitigated disaster so far this season. It, he he looks totally washed. I know he got off to a slow start last year too. Justin Hall kind of helped keep that pairing above water in the early part of last season with his, you know, really strong start. But he hasn't had that this year either. As a pairing, they've they've been disastrous. I think Muzzin and Hall have been on for 11 and 10 goals against at 5 versus 5, respectively. Um, I don't think anyone else on the blue line has been on for more than 5. So it's been a really ugly start for them. Like nothing is going well when the puck is around Jake Muzzin. If someone else is attacking him, they're walking around him or putting the puck through them or he's falling as he tries to to make a check. And and when the puck is on his stick, he's fumbling it or he's coughing it up along the boards and not able to get the puck out. Um, We saw in the Chicago game, there was a, a, a sequence where someone hit him with a pass at the point, you know, it should have been an easy reception and he, he couldn't even corral uh, a straightforward pass at, at the blue line. And it resulted in a chance the other way. He, he's just getting caught all over the ice. He looks really slow. Um, Justin Hall looks slow. I, I used to roll my eyes so hard, like to the point where they were ready to go rolling across the floor. Whenever I would hear someone talk about how good of a skater Justin Hall is I think we can finally dispel that myth. He is skating in quicksand out there. He, what has made Hall and Muzzin successful, or part of what has made them successful in the last couple of years, has been their ability to quickly, you know, retrieve pucks in their own end after dump ins or breaking up cycles or what have you, and quickly transitioning the play up ice and getting out of the defensive zone. 
And they have been unable to do that way too often so far this season. Uh, the numbers and the eye test really match up when you're talking about Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall in the early part of the season. And I, I don't really, I don't know what, what the remedy is here. Um, it's, I don't think it's the same kind of mentality as the coach should have with guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Mariner, who you just kind of keep rolling out there. You have to play those guys for them to get out of it. They've got to play their way out of this. I don't necessarily believe that is going to be the case with Muzzin and Hall. And I don't know how much longer Keith can continue to trot them out there with the way they've been playing. And, and he's aware of it too. He, he was asked about them earlier in the week and he said, that, you know, those are two guys that have not played at the level they're accustomed to seeing from them. And he acknowledged that they do take on a lot of tough assignments, but that they've come to expect that pairing to thrive with those tough assignments and they just haven't gotten there yet. So I think it's also something that Keefe is monitoring very closely. Um, I, I don't know what he might have up his sleeve to kind of make an adjustment and see what, what he can do on the back end to, to rectify it. But th- to me, it seems like, like an obvious answer, especially with the way that Dermot has played early in the season. A- again, doesn't face you know, stiff competition, doesn't play a lot of minutes. And that's been the story throughout his career. But he's once again excelling in those third pair minutes. And I think particularly his skill set could help mitigate a lot of the concerns with the Muzzin and Hall pairing. I think if you try moving Travis Dermott up into Hall's spot, Dermott's mobility and the way that he's able to get back on loose pucks and elude four checkers and quickly get up and out of the zone, that's something that is not on that second pairing right now. They, they don't have the mobility. They don't have the speed. They're really struggling to move the puck up ice. And, and I think if you just add a little bit more speed and a, a bit more flash to that pairing if you, if you move up a guy like Dermot to to try and play some of those heavier minutes alongside Muzzin. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, Dermot, that, that's definitely been one of the impressive things to me about that pairing, Dermot and, and Sandine this this season, has been their ability to get back and, and quickly make plays on pucks, right? And at times they've struggled kind of with the size down low, and I think that, yeah, we're due for maybe a shakeup on the, the back end. Um, I was listening to the latest uh, Leaf Report, and uh, Jonas and Myrtle were kicking around some new pairings, and um, I believe that what they were talking about was uh, Riley with Dermot, Muzzin with Brody, and then Sandine with with Hall and the third pair kind of thing. But yeah, I, I like your your idea there too. I think that makes a lot of sense um, if they're going to continue to to try and make Muzzin the shutdown guy, you know. I don't think it's a secret that Shelvin Keefe isn't exactly trusting of, of Travis Dermott. Uh, if he was, I think we'd have seen Dermott get a, a bigger opportunity to this point. Um, if you want to throw Brody and Muzzin together and kind of saddle them with a lot of the, the defensive zone starts and you, you just sort of use Riley and Dermott in more of an uh, offensive sheltered situation. But it's, through the early part of this season, we've already kind of seen Shelvin Keefe sort of start leaning on Riley and Brody a bit more in those tough minutes. They're taking on more defensive starts than they did last year, and that's due in large part to Muzzin and Hall's struggles there. So I I think that 
if this continues, there is a shakeup coming. Uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly how Keith handles that. Yeah, whatever happens, they need to get the legs going because, like, that's what made Muzzin yeah. Hall effective. Is that like, like you said, they're not great skaters by any means, but they do get around well for their size and they have the reach. And, um, but yeah, when when they're both kind of a half a step off, it, it shows in a hurry. So however you're going to work it if, if muzzin's going to be taking shutdown minutes he, he needs to to turn it around here a bit so the the leafs are set to kick off a homestand five games pretty tough stretch uh for the most part but it does start off with detroit who um you know certainly can't take for granted by any means uh, roster isn't great but they've got some some youth that's coming in there now and and this is, you know, traditionally the kind of profile that the Leafs are going to struggle with, right? Like young legs coming in. Well, I don't in, think anyone's up. confident with any opponent right no, now. No, no, definitely not. Um, and yes, yeah, so a couple, a couple of good uh, rookie seasons happening in Detroit right now. You got uh, Lucas Raymond. You've got uh, Moritz Sider as well. Excited to get a look at those guys, but. Um, what are you expecting from this one? Because, I mean, if, if the Leafs don't kind of roll some momentum from that Chicago game and if they kind of go back to their old ways and expect to roll past Detroit, uh, I think that they could be in trouble. Yeah, you look at what they've got on the schedule next week and I, I think it, uh, it there's an added level of importance to the win against Chicago and in turn there it makes the game against Detroit all that much more important as well you know when you've got Vegas Tampa Bay and and Boston coming up next week you know Tampa and Vegas haven't gotten off to the best starts either but they're still very imposing teams that you're not going to come away with an easy victory against so I think you nailed it Cam there just can't be a letdown after you know coming back and winning that game against the Blackhawks in the way that they did just kind of you know they stuck with it throughout that game and they were rewarded for it in the end so they just have to kind of carry that energy and I I think there was some confidence kind of established in that win against the Blackhawks too you know even against uh, such an inferior opponent just the fact that things kind of started happening, the power play looked better, the, the top unit was really slinging it around and generating some good chances there. It, through the early part of the season, just like nothing has been crisp. They, they haven't been really like firing clean breakout passes or, or hitting guys on the fly in transition or even you know getting the puck to guys in open space in the offensive zone. And I think it, there was an improvement in, in that regard against the Blackhawks. So I think just kind of carrying that confidence, that energy, trying to build some momentum against another team that you really should have the win against, I, I think that's going to be the most important thing. There just can't be a letdown. Yeah, and, and you know, if you go out and win four of these five at home, then the conversation has completely changed, right? And it's, you know, obviously not been a, a hot start. Um, I mean, it's been an extremely disappointing start, frankly. Like, you, you expect to... Like, for the fan base, it's very much been this regular season doesn't matter. You didn't expect that the team would come out with the same attitude, right? Like, yeah, but, but what did we talk about on our season preview pod? We were talking about things that 
we could see during this regular yeah. season that would make us feel and we've better. seen none of it and it's, one of the things we talked we want to, them yeah, to dominate we, we, we want them to, to go front to back and win the division and kick the shit out of everyone and, and it's been the opposite of that and, and come in with a chip on their shoulder and, and play angry and that was what we've seen so far has been the furthest thing from that so I just think everything compounded and it made it feel like, you know, that was the, the longest four game winless streak in the history of hockey. It felt like it, it's, it just seemed like so much more than what it ultimately was just because of the fashion in which they were losing those games and the, the way they weren't really showing up with, with any kind of heart or fight. So yeah, just putting that in the rearview mirror and moving forward to try and get back in the, the good books of the fan base because it's been ugly. Yeah. Twitter has not been a, a fun place. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the tone has really been set now, right? Like it was arguably already pretty much set in stone what the season was going to be, but maybe they could have kind of turned the tide a little bit if they had really come out of the gates rolling. And now it's just going to be doom and gloom every single time that they lose two in a row, right? Like it's, it's not, um, it's not well, a, well they haven't earned any benefit of no, the doubt and no. any any bit of benefit of the doubt that we were giving them going into the season i think you know we were all pretty confident that they were going to come out and play well and have a strong season like my attitude towards this team has been significantly altered through eight games like i i was definitely confident that they were going to come out and play well i was you know tooting the the horn of Mitch Mariner going and having an enormous season and, and proving all the doubters wrong. And, you know, it's, it, it's very much not been that so far. And I think even like the most optimistic of fans have just been kind of brought down by what we've seen so far. Are you saying you're no longer chilled the fuck out? I am no longer chilled the fuck out. I, I, back on my apology pedestal. I am sorry for telling our listeners to chill out. But you know the other thing about that is fucking annoying. Is like you know we were talking about that four games into the season, and then you know you get six and seven games in, and eight games in, and you have the people that are going with the snide remark, like they're making some kind of intelligent point like oh the people who were saying it's too early are, are awful quiet now it's like yeah well it's not as early anymore like this the circumstances have changed and they continue to change every day it's just kind of moving the goalposts. I, I i thought that was silly um so yeah five five big ones at home and, and i mean like you said some some stiff competition so um you, you can hopefully maybe turn the narrative a little bit if you you play well and but you know you got to play well like you got to come out strong here like it's well that's the thing too um, like you can handle some losses if if they were even like putting up a fight right i think again it was just the the total lack of urgency and yeah you know and and it was it was was poor competition nick it was you're gonna get your dicks kicked in if if you play like that in this home stretch like again like detroit maybe it's a a bit of a soft start but like like i said like the the they're probably going to come out flying and and um you know if you don't get a an easy win there it could be an ugly home stretch with with the teams that you're uh you're facing so it's going to be important to just have a 
strong showing here and and the big guys got to get going like that's ultimately what it what it comes yeah. down to right so this team goes as austin matthews mitch mariner and john Tavares, and william nylander go and especially matthews and mariner let, let's not kid ourselves here right like those are the guys if they're not scoring if they're not playing their best hockey this team is not going to find success or not going to be able to sustain success at the very least. So I, I, I'm not really worried about Matthews and Mariner yet. I mean, maybe Mariner to an extent, just because I think that this is really weighing on him. Like he, he looks to be impacted by outside perception more than almost anyone. Right. Like I think he's been really, really feeling it um, and not in the good way, but he, he's, Against Chicago, he started to look like he was was himself again a little bit. And, uh, yeah, getting him and Matthews back to playing their best hockey, it'll go a long way to kind of flipping the script for this team. What was that that graphic that they they showed on, on the game on Wednesday night? Like all those categories, like slot chances and slot shots and high danger scoring chances and rebound chances. Like the Leafs are in still sitting in first place in – most offensive underlying numbers throughout the league, right? So it, it's it's probably not as bad as it seems. Just like it's never really as good as it seems when it when they're walking all over the North Division or what have you. Like a couple of goals here and there, you know, some of those shots that have hit the post, and I think everything's just been really magnified by the fact that the pucks haven't been going in, but that regression is coming to Matthews is going to score. Mariner's going to put up his points. Tavares and Nylander are going to get theirs. And I think if, you know, there's been some strong performances from some depth guys. And if we can continue to get that out of them and the big guys figured out, and we can kind of get all that going at the same time, then all we'll have to worry about is Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So it looks like maybe we'll have Peter Mrazek back. Uh, here at some point in the net um, perhaps during this homestand we'll see but um, yeah he looks like he's getting close yeah so so that'll be good Campbell's been great obviously but um, that's that's part of the plan right so you don't want want to keep rolling Campbell out the way you have been he's had his own injury issues and um, yeah good good to have him hopefully back in the fold soon yeah absolutely like you, you said it. you don't want to be running Campbell out there night after night after night after night He's been, you know, probably the, the Leafs' best player, maybe aside from William Nylander through the early going here, and uh, keeping him healthy and on the top of his game, managing his workload and all that stuff is, is going to be really important to helping him sustain that performance. Yeah. Uh, speaking of injuries, you've got a prospect post going up on the Leafs Nation Friday, and uh uh, Rodion Amirov is on the shelf. Uh, mystery injury, it kind of, I guess, right? Like, we don't really know what's going on. There. No, it's been kind of a, a mysterious subject for for a while now. He's been out of Ufa's lineup for most of the season. Um, he he was injured previously in the preseason. You know, he got off to a strong start there. I think he had, like, four points through four games before he broke his collarbone. Ended up missing, like, the first eight games of their regular season. Came back, uh, played three games, looked pretty good. And he's been out of the lineup since. So, it, I think Ufa's played, like, 23 or 24 games now. And it, he's managed to get into three of them. Um, Josh Cloak at The Athletic did some uh, 
some great investigative journalism of his own this week. Uh, kind of got a, a bit more insight into what's going on with Amirov. Uh, the head coach of Ufa's team said Amirov is nowhere close to returning to the lineup. Uh, it's, it did not reveal the nature of the injury. But Amirov has traveled to Germany. He is visiting with uh, some doctors in Dusseldorf. Uh, so you can only assume that, you know, if, if he's traveling away for medical treatment or an opinion like that, he, he's probably seeing some kind of specialists in, in a particular medical field. So either way, it, it doesn't sound good. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be back on the ice anytime soon. The, the Leafs will definitely be keeping a close eye on that. He's under contract with the Leafs now. He's actually playing on loan over in the KHL. So the Leafs will have a bit of influence and control over how they, they move forward with treatment or whatever is the case with uh, Amirov's injury. But yeah, disappointing to see, especially after last week when Nick Robertson broke his leg and uh, he's going to be on the shelf for quite some time. So, you know, if you don't really count Rasmus Sandin as a prospect anymore, the, the, the top two prospects in the organization are on the shelf for uh, for quite a while now. And I, I mean, maybe they uh, aren't the top two prospects in your mind if you've been following anything that Topi Nemo has been doing lately. He's he's having a hell of a season. Uh, he's up to like 14 points in 16 games, leading all Liga defensemen in scoring. You know, on track to have one of the best seasons for an under 20 uh, defenseman in league of history. So if, he, if he's able to continue that, um, it kind of maybe helps ease some of the sting around the injuries to Robertson and Amirov. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on it. And again, you can check out, uh, more in your, uh, piece on the Leafs nation. Um, yeah, there's lots of good stuff in there too. It, it starts off with the depressing bit about Amirov, but, uh, it, there's some good stuff in there too. Check that. <laughs> Very good. Um, let's wrap it up there. I am mid move. That that's that's why I've been kind of in and out on the Leafs the last week or so. I'm I'm moving this weekend, so I will we'll we'll, we'll be back when we're back. I I don't know. I, I got to make sure that I'm <laughs> all set up and good to go there. But um, I, I I think that we'll be back next week with with no problems. Uh, I need to finally invest in a new laptop. It's it's time. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll hopefully have um more w's to talk about because yeah it's it's not uh i i am glad that we didn't record earlier this week because it would have been ugly yeah <laughs> as i said like my attitude towards the team ha- has you know been altered in a negative way um it was altered slightly back in the other direction very slightly back in the other direction with the win over chicago so uh yeah, I, I think this would have been a, a, a bit of a less rosy outlook had we recorded earlier in the week. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, let's end it there. There's Newfoundland Growlers news that will probably develop further by our next episode. Basically, they've been kicked out of St. John's, uh, but we'll get into that further next week. Uh, strength to Kyle Beach. And another shout out to Rick Westhead for his incredible reporting on this story. And I also wanted to mention Katie Strang, who's done a great job as usual. She was uh, uh, she was very emotional talking about this story on the Athletics Hockey Podcast. Um, Joel Quenville now officially out in Florida as well. 
by the way. Hopefully more to come on that front also. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lamenting Leafs and each of us at underscore Nick Richard, as well as myself at Carl Pelash. Give Keith a follow as well. He'll be back next week at Keith Whip. Thanks for listening. Yeah.